97% of salespeople are missing this one thing that if they only knew it would allow them to close 75% more sales. It has nothing to do with charisma, the gift of gab, or whatever else you've been told. Because if you're trying to convince your customer, that means they don't want to buy, which means you've already lost the sale. What sales professionals do is sell customers exactly what they want to buy. They work with the customer to uncover their current challenges, the consequences of those challenges, and how that's impacting them. They then help the prospect describe the ideal solution to their problems, what that looks like, and how that perfect outcome will impact them. And once they can picture that perfect outcome, price is irrelevant. That's right. Sales professionals sell customers exactly what they want to buy because it's easier dealing with a happy customer than dealing with a customer who felt sold. So here's the deal. I explain everything in my live two-day sales workshop, June 14th and 15th in my office. Go to closemoresales.com workshop and you'll be able to close more sales as soon as you get back. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today, we have Colin Schwartz with Park Avenue Avenue Capital. And Colin flew in from Omaha, Nebraska to talk about how his team has acquired 1,700 units in the last four years. If this is your first time tuning in, I'm Steve Trang, sales trainer for some of the top wholesalers in the country. And I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. The most common question I get is, how do I become one of the 100 millionaires? The information on this podcast alone is enough for you to become a millionaire in the next five to seven years if you will take consistent action. Uh, if you want to get there a little bit faster, send me a message on Instagram. See what we can help you. And uh, this show is brought to you by Investor Lift, so be sure to put Disruptors to get 10% off. If you get value out of the show, please tag it from below or share this episode right now. That way we can all grow together. And um, this is a live show, so please ask your questions for Colin to answer. You ready? Ready. All right, cool. So first question is, what got you into real estate? So I think this is a common theme among investors. It's the Purple Bible. It was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. <laughs> it's amazing uh, how many people have read that book. January 1st, 2017, it was... Uh, day before the end of vacation, it was me and my wife. We were expecting our second child. Um, and I was doing what everybody does after New Year's and is reflecting. Mm -hmm. Somebody put a book recommendation out of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I've heard of it. I had never read it. I picked it up that night and I almost got through the entire book and basically banged my head up against the wall, realizing that I had missed out on so much. I was 32 at the time. I had my master's degree. I was working a job in IT as a project manager. And every day I was looking at my 401k going up incrementally until the age I hit 65 mm -hmm. to be able to retire. Yeah. It, it, uh, it, it dawned on me right then that I did not need to do that. I got back to work, which was two days later, which happened to be my birthday. And they got rid of our, um, or at least me personally, our non-paid PTO. So I needed uh, non-paid time off. I ran another business on the side. I realized that I was like handcuffed with this job. So you were no longer allowed to take time off. No longer allowed to take time off, which I wasn't getting paid for. Yeah. Yeah. So th there was kind of a moment right there. And at the same time, I was sitting across from a gentleman. He'd been working with the company for about 30 years. He had a countdown timer on his desk of a thousand plus days to go. He was looking forward to skipping over a thousand days to be retired. This is like, um, you know, that job that you hate and you keep staring at the clock. Yes. And that minute hand not only doesn't move forward, but sometimes it feels like it goes backwards. It, it, was, it was the um, I just remember the elevators were packed every day at three o'clock, four o'clock and five o'clock. Not like five fifteen, not five thirty. Everybody got up and left. It was a great job. I, I 
you know, I was making $80,000 a year. I mm -hmm. thought I hit, you know, the absolute gold mine. Um, but after reading that book and kind of those situations, I realized that there was something that needed to change. Um, I began diving into all sorts of different education, reading as much as I could, networking. Um, what I quickly realized is that being a new investor, you're not really getting taken serious by a lot of brokers. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants a seven and a half cap with 12 to 15% cash on cash returns. Um, but if you're not proven, you're not going to be sent the deals. Mm -hmm. So I went through ListSource. I found ListSource.com created a list of properties. Well, hang were, on, you're jumping right into the real estate component. Right? I am, I am. Um, in this time, you're kind of go through, not an existential crisis, but like an epiphany, right? Yes. Your eyes are open. Midlife and, crisis. Yeah, a little early midlife crisis. And your job then reinforces that. And then you start looking at data. So you're still working your job while you're looking at apartments. Yes. So what I also realized is that although I'm at work for eight, nine hours a day, there's a lot I can get done because I can get my job done in probably an hour and a half and still be very effective at it mm -hmm. because they wanted butts and seats. So you right. sit there and that's where you are. Um, so I realized I'm not going to take lunch breaks anymore. On my lunch breaks, I'm going to work. I'm going to work on what I have a passion for, which is real estate. So through podcasts, every morning I would wake up, listen to Bigger Pockets, um, get on biggerpockets.com, listen to books, read books. And then quickly I got to where List Source is Did a. Did you say Bigger Pockets or Real Estate Disruptors? I wasn't sure. Real Estate Disruptors. Of course, of course. <laughs> I said, I don't think you were out then. So I was not. Yeah, see, <laughs> see, you caught me. Uh, almost did. Um, but got onto List Source, I found, I identified 191 properties that were within three zip codes. The reason I chose those three zip codes is they were between my home and my work. So that means that I could effectively go see them during my lunch breaks, on the way to work, on the way out to work. Um, so kind of like driving for dollars for apartments. Yes. Yep. And being very stubborn, um, I sat at home one weekend and hand wrote all the letters and I sent them out. I sent them out on Friday because I heard that was the best time. I think How many letters? 191. 191 letters. 191 letters. Um, I got, I think, 13 or 14 calls. That's pretty good. That's uh, almost a 10%, that's a 7% response rate. Yes. That's incredible. And I got six deals from it. Even better. And I had no clue what I was doing. My phone started ringing off the hook. When I say ringing off the hook, it started ringing on that Monday during meetings of these random people. Okay, so not only were you getting responses, you're getting responses Monday. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So, so I think the key with the letter, and this is something that I think is so uh, important, it was very personable. I actually, so it was handwritten. I put a real stamp on the letter. I hand wrote the person's address on there, and then I hand wrote my return address. Mm -hmm. How many times do you get a piece of personal mail that you don't open? If it's written to you directly mm -hmm. and it seems like it's actually like a personal letter, you're going to open it every single time. It's going to open. It's going to catch your eye. It's going to catch your eye versus the one that has you know the the postage prepaid postage, etc., where you know somebody's trying to sell you something. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that that really helped and that really helped me get started. So currently, are you still doing that? I don't do that. That was no, no. Now we have more deal flow than we know what to do with, which is a good, which is a good problem. We have eight different businesses. We've vertically integrated into multifamily. 
Um, my first project being a threeplex. We're closing 180 unit on in a week from now. We all right, recently, so we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, okay. So, all right, so you're you got six deals from it, but you didn't contract those, all all those immediately, right? So you got six people that were real sellers. Correct. Right. So what was the first one that turned into an actual transaction? So it was a duplex. Um, the guy was, you know, I'm not in a rush to sell, but just keep reaching out to me. Keep reaching out to mm -hmm. me. So every two weeks I would reach out to him. I didn't want to do the six month game. I needed to get out of my job. I, 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 I was on a mission then. Um, I met with him at his house multiple times, signed it over, got the project under contract for a hundred thousand dollars. Um, it was cool. We, and I used a home equity line of credit. So where I got my capital from, I realized I had dead equity in my house, which I didn't realize was anything. Everybody talks about paying off your house. Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, there's money there I can utilize and actually make gains from that. That was also a big pivotal moment for me. Um, but yeah, that was the first one sat in his living room at closing. He gave me one of his, uh, samurai swords that he'd been collecting and uh we, we parted ways that that uh that house i did end up or duplex i did end up selling though eventually okay. just recently so i think there's a good point here though right i mean because you were transitioning from a w-2 job you had a line of credit uh, uh, or you had equity in your home right and use that line of credit to get your business started so i did the same thing too now i trashed my whole line of credit you know because i got my line of credit in 06 or 05 and it was just downhill from there but I used it to get started. So I think right now everyone pretty much has equity in their home. So they own a home, use that line of credit because that's some equity that they can apply for their business. Yeah. I mean, if you have, if you're at 80% loan to value, there's lots of banks that'll give you up to 90, 95% on that line of credit. So, yeah. I mean, really that is money that is just sitting there. And if you're paying 4% interest or 5% interest uh, on your mortgage, why not use that 10 to 15% of equity to make 10%? hundred percent, whatever it is, mm -hmm. but you can arbitrage that and make it significantly more than it just sitting there as your safety net. Absolutely. Okay. So your first deal was a duplex, but that was not enough to quit your job. No. Okay. No. So what was next after that? Um, so my, my first deal, it, it closed April 24th of 2017. So that was pretty soon after I read rich dad, poor dad. Since that date, I've had a project under contract. I've never, I went about 18 hours mm -hmm. and then got another project under contract that was in 2019. Um, but just continued. So bought a duplex, a threeplex, a sevenplex, a fourplex. And then I started meeting partners. Um, and I think that's when my business really, really started skyrocketing. Um, I, when I first started, I got into property management mm -hmm. because I realized that my 401k was being managed by people whose goal was to get fees and to make their own living, not to protect my living. Right. So I needed to take control of it. Um, so I began the property management side of it. This is while working full time. This is while now having two children um, and continued with that. And I started partnering with individuals. Wait, you're managing your properties plus other people's properties? just my properties. Okay. Just my properties. So currently we only manage myself. Now I have partners in the property mm -hmm. management side, but just manage properties in which I have ownership equity in. Got it. Okay. And then partners, you're partnering with people pretty early the, the, from the first deal. Oh, from the first deal. Yeah. Okay. What prompted you the partner? 
because I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I found somebody that owned or had owned and managed 50 units. His name's Steven Sykes. And now I have another partner, Chris Pomerlew. Um, but he was well beyond where I was, where I thought was even possible. And he helped guide me through the process. Yeah. I, I would, you know, one of my biggest takeaways is get a mentor, get, get a, get a partner, show them value as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I'd be anywhere if it wasn't for, for those two individuals. Got it. I, I would be stuck. I'm good at a couple things. I'm really bad at a lot of things. Yeah. These individuals kind of fill in the gap. Perfect. Uh, so, all right. You're closing a bunch of deals, start property management company. What happened after that? So it was in February. I decided to actually quit my job of next year of 2018. I was at 42 rental units. Um, I, I had an uh, epiphany again, and also my with my wife's blessing, and she actually kind of encouraged it. She saw that I really wasn't satisfied at my job, and also I was seeing some success in real estate. Mm-hmm. And I also got a $25,000 wholesale fee mm-hmm. and $12,000 worth of ac- acquisition fees um, from an off-market package I found. Right. So really, that was when you're making 84000 a year, and all of a sudden you can get $37,000 of fees with one transaction, mm-hmm. and you realize it would take you close to six months to make that light bulb goes off. It's like, okay, right. let, let's, let's focus my time on this. So it was the income, the transactional income, it wasn't the, the passive number. So like, you know, a lot of people when they're looking at acquiring rental properties, right? You go the rich dad, poor dad route. And we all, in a way, go through it, but you I mean, you really went hard on that rich dad, poor dad route to get passive income. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of look for this freedom number, right? So you didn't necessarily hit your freedom number and then quit your job. You quit your job because you saw the active income would, on pace, far out, far outperform your W two job. Correct. You know the passive income. It, it is. It takes a little bit longer. It's one thing if you have you know capital to invest. You're investing into syndications. That's mm-hmm. a little bit more. Um, it's a little bit more predictable when you're doing what I was doing. The smaller properties. Um, there's a lot more capex that can occur. Mm-hmm. You know, a furnace goes out. I mean, some of these buildings I was buying were like 1910, 1920. You have a furnace go out. That's thirty five hundred bucks. There, there goes your year's worth of cash flow. Right. However, the equity buildup, some of the fees, some of the active income that you can take, it was kind of the light bulb. Once these properties get stabilized, okay, then you can start better projecting what the passive income is, or at scale. Hence, why so, we've scaled to larger projects. Stabilize. It's not a term we use a lot on this show. So let's elaborate on what that is. Okay, so stabilizes. So when we take over a property, it's from you know typically great landlords, um, but they don't run the property as if it's a business. Mm-hmm. Um, they forget to raise rents. They're not billing back for utilities. They're also not taking care of the property. So when I say stabilize, we're going in. Um, sometimes we're keeping the same residence. Sometimes we're not. Um, but we're getting these properties up to market rate. We're providing the correct fees. We're also improving the properties to where they need to be. There's no leaky faucets. There's no holes in the ceiling. We're taking care of the properties to get them to their maximum and optimal value. And once that we are there, then I would consider it stabilized. And then at that point, we look at refinancing the property to recoup our capital that right. was init- initially invested. Yeah. So if I, I guess if I were to picture it, it's kind of like you buy a property that is a little, a little older, a little deferred maintenance not quite kept up and you're just coming in 
making it fully rent ready so you can maximize your returns. Correct. I mean, for example, for that duplex, the rents were $500 a month. When I sold the property, they were at $1,200 a month <laughs> per unit. So, I mean, that's just that's just a prime example of yeah. somebody who didn't want to run it as a business. Mm-hmm. All right. So in your first year, you say you acquired how many units? 42. That's a pretty good first year, while run, especially while running a full-time job. So how was the second year? So every year we've about tripled, you know, I think by the end of the second year, I was about at 200 units or so. It was kind of a whirlwind. It's been kind of a whirlwind. So there must've been a lot of lessons learned going from 40 to 200. Yeah. So I was, it was another pivotal moment. I was at 90 or a hundred units. And I remember sitting down at a restaurant and I didn't leave for eight hours because my phone didn't stop ringing. <laughs> I had over a hundred phone calls wow. and hundreds and hundreds of text messages. Remember, I'm managing this. I'm also trying to acquire. I'm also networking. Um, during that time, I started a meetup group in Omaha. Um, so the lesson learned was I needed to hire somebody mm-hmm. pretty quickly. Otherwise, I was never going to leave that chair. And yeah. I just bought myself another job. Right. A, a, a better job where I could, you know, go drive around, move where I wanted to be. But I was glued to that phone and had a lot of people needing a lot of things. I remember I would, um, I had a mobile printer. So first 24 unit that we bought, this was, you know, maybe when I was hitting 60 or 70 units, I would go into the apartments, hook up my mobile printer, print out leases mm-hmm. to sign with the residents right there. Yeah. Um, so I was doing, I was rekeying, I was spraying for pests. You were rekeying I, I was spraying doing, for pests. Wow. I, I was, I, you were I, literally I, doing everything. I, you were do, a one person it. property management company. Absolutely. Managing hundred, uh, yep. 200 units or you're, this, at a hundred at a hundred. Yep. That does not sound pleasant. Um, it was exhilarating. Sure. But no, it was exhausting. And I think this is kind of, you had that epiphany where you got to hire, but there's so many people like we would rather entrepreneurs we would rather work for ourselves a hundred hours a week maybe even make less than work 30 hours a week for someone else i was definitely making less um <laughs> doing, i mean obviously there's income coming in there's a lot of net worth that was being built up yeah. but at the time you don't see it because i mean you're just stuck in the trenches and you're in the weeds yeah i hadn't done any refinances at that point i, I was really just starting to understand that process mm-hmm. um yeah so definitely hiring outsourcing um, delegating were your partners helping you with this component because you were saying like you know they filled in a lot of the weaknesses were they helping you as far as like eye-opening hiring process and so on so i i did most of that so they would focus on on acquisition. So at this point I had already quit my job. Mm -hmm. They were still in their full-time W2 jobs. Got it. So, and I also received a fee for the management. So this is, you know, something that did help me get out of my job is I charged, you know, an eight to 10% management fee. So even if we were partnered 50, 50, I would get, you know, a cut off the top. That was kind of like living salary. So I know lots of partnerships start with who does what? And I think partnerships dissolve because somebody's not pulling their weight. Mm-hmm. Well, I said, I'm taking a fee for this. So we know who the onus belongs to it belongs right. to me. Yeah. I'm the one that's got to do it, but I'm getting paid for it. Right. Got it. Uh, so hiring, how was that journey? Hiring your has, first hire. 
my first hire, his name's Irvin. He still works for me. He's great. He does our leasing. That's um, awesome. Normally, is that a good situation with your first hire? I knew he was, uh, so he was actually, I met his mom. She was looking for a property. She actually now cleans hundreds of our apartments for us. It's like mm -hmm. flourished her company. Um, young kid. I saw him. He was painting one of our apartments. He was helping his mom. And I just saw his work ethic and his ability to mm -hmm. just, you know, positive attitude. And then I remember I was in a bind. I was out of town. First time I went out of town in like two years. It was for a conference. I was out for two days. It was December or January. It's freezing in Omaha. I get a call from a resident furnace is out. I mean, it's like it's like zero or negative 20. It's freezing. Yeah. I call him at midnight. I say, can you please go look at this? He gets up, drives to my house, goes and picks up the set of keys, then goes, drives to the property and fixes the issue. Wow. I was like, okay, you're hired. Like, yeah. I, I don't know what I need to do, but if I can get you on a retainer, because mm -hmm. I never hired, I don't, I mean, this is all brand new to me. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that was the first hire. Now we're, I think, 18 employees. Um, and almost every single person, actually, every single person has been like, through a mutual relationship. Yeah. I've tried indeed. Um, I've tried a lot of other routes, but really it's always recommendations from other people. Um, and we don't look for experience. We look for talent. Yeah. That, that's it. Somebody that's willing to work and really gets it and takes ownership. Um, so when you hired him, he was kind of like, I don't know, emergency. <laughs> I He's said, only... if there's something that I can't do, can you run around for me? I mean, and it was very nondescript. And what does he do now? Uh, so now he does all of our leasing. He does lots of our leasing, lease renewals, um, schedules our cleaning, um, handles. So he's uh, bilingual. So he handles a lot of a uh, um, lot of resident communication in that manner. But I mean, he probably has ten different hats. Mm -hmm. At the beginning, he had a hundred. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So going from your second year, a couple hundred units to now, you know, I, I said 1700, but you, you said that it's, it's even updated further. Yeah. So it's at about 1950 right now. Mm -hmm. Um, so just shy of 2000 units yeah. in four years. Mm -hmm. It's pretty impressive. Uh, cause this is the end of your fourth year, right? Yeah, correct. So you started January of 17. Correct. So it's not, it's not even four full years here and you're, you're just shy of 2000 units. So what were some things that helped you get there? Partnerships, partnerships, mentorships, um, coaching groups. So I have a business coach. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm also involved in some masterminds. That's why I'm in town right now. Um, and I created a meetup group, which I, I think there was already a meetup group in town, but for anybody out there, create a meetup group. If you have an idea and you think you can provide value, mm -hmm. I don't care if there's 50 meetup groups, meetup groups out mm -hmm. there in your city, build your own meetup group. Right. Our, our started with six people touring my fourplex with a 12 pack of beer. The next one was 30 people. Now we have 150 people that show up and 3,300 members. Yeah. Um, so that really helped just the networking and the giving back mentality. I don't charge for the meetup. You know, we'll, I, I do coach, um, and I, I am a paid coach, but the meetup was really brought together to find people smarter than me mm -hmm. and extract some of their knowledge. And hopefully I could provide something back to them. Gotcha. Cool. So, um, for someone wanting to go down this route, right. To start a meetup, 
how would one go about starting a meetup? I mean, focus on the, on the value that you can bring and focus on what, what you want to do. I said, I wanted to start a meetup that's focused on multifamily and I wanted to bring together people that wanted to help each other. Mm -hmm. That was it. I mean, we found projects, make it interesting, make it fun. So the reason, one of the biggest reasons why I want to start it is the RIA that we had in town, which has totally changed and is now amazing. But the RIA that was in town was hosted at a middle school gymnasium. Um, they served cookies and just stale bread. And it was on a Monday evening. Mm -hmm. And it was just one of those things nobody wanted to go to. It was very bland. It was run by a person that was very authoritarian, that didn't want to let anybody speak, that wanted to promote his products. Oh, wow. Um, so it was just kind of, uh, it's like, okay, there's a better way to do this. Let's, mm. let's provide some fun. Let's, you know, let's go to a bar. Let's have some interesting speakers. Let's allow people to promote their products. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, give the people what they want. I will say, though. It's nothing wrong with cookies. No, the cookies are good. Milk and cookies is, 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 it will always be a classic. No, you're right. So, okay. Um, you're, you're, you said you were in town for a mastermind. What mastermind is that? Uh, multipliers. Multipliers? Yep. Cool. All right. So what are some other masterminds that have helped you kind of get here? So I joined Dino, Jake and Gino, Wheelbarrow Profits. I don't. Okay. So they're a multifamily group. Um, that's who I actually coach for, but... I was originally a student. Mm -hmm. um, so they have a great group of individuals. They have helped tremendously. Um, they're doing something similar to me. They're vertically integrating. They just started a few years earlier. And, mm -hmm. you know, they've built out a large, large company based on people. Another group is Vistage. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a great program. It's, it's amazing. So I've been a part of it for three years. I was there before I had an employee, mm -hmm. one of my mentors, um, he, he recommended it to me. And when I went in there, you know, I, I was surrounded by big CEOs, guys that own law firms with, you know, 80 attorneys or yeah. so that are making millions. And I, you know, showed up with like, I had my first t-shirt, I think with my company <laughs> logo. Yeah. Um, and that, that has been influential. Um, and I think for a lot of people that are listening to the show, right. I mean, networking, it's key to network inside of real estate, but it's also key to network with people outside of real estate. Invisage is great for that, right? Because it's, it's huge. It is huge. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's it's local people that are business owners, and it's invite only if I remember correctly. Correct, and it's basically you get with different business owners. So some are, you know, everybody has to be a CEO or a business owner. You know, there's people that can own IT companies, cleaning companies, construction companies. Mm -hmm. um, you get a group of non-like kind businesses to act as each other's board. Yeah, and, and the the problems that you can solve, especially, I mean, in real estate. Oftentimes it says, where's the next deal? What, what are you finding? Where are you raising capital? Lots of the issues I find does come down. I think you touched on this as people. Mm -hmm. um, and lots of what we talk about is finding the right people. Yeah, absolutely. So that's cool. Um, and then I'm seeing here in the notes that limiting beliefs is something that's important to you. Uh, what can we talk about, you know, limiting beliefs? Yeah. So at the beginning, I think always, you know, I had a lot of doubt that I could do this every morning. I, I doubted that I could do this. You know, I said, Hey, Colin, why do you think you can go out and, you know, be a millionaire and start this when you have a really good job, you should be thankful for it. Mm -hmm. You should be thankful. You got your master's, you know, you, 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 you hit the, you hit the good years, you know, you got 30 more years till retirement. Um, I, I really think that, you know, getting up, exercising in the morning, 
and then just knowing that you can accomplish anything as long as you work for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is, but I had those limiting beliefs forever. As I said, I was 32. I've got a kid working for me now. He's 18 years old. He's just invested in our properties and owns his own real estate. And, yeah. and when I see that, that is just like, that is super inspiring. Yeah. So I think um, you go from like, who am I? Who am I to go challenge status quo? Who am I? Like, why would I deserve this? Right. To eventually, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong here. Right. To eventually, like, why not me? Absolutely. Right. Why shouldn't I succeed? Yes. What, like, what, what, what are the reasons for me not to go out and get what I feel I can do? And, and the, the end part of that is that you can help people. Mm -hmm. I mean, what I've noticed more, I mean, one of my big goals, and I'm, I'm a big fan of your goal, but I want, if my employees want it, to make them millionaires in five years. Yeah. Lots of our employees invest in our real estate. We partner on deals together. Mm -hmm. And just being able to see their net worth grow is phenomenal. Property management, I can only pay so much. You know, at a W-2 salary job, there is a cap based on the income of the actual company itself. You can't pay somebody a million dollars a year in a property management company. But if they can find the skills and gain the skills and be able to network, partner with myself, partner with my partners, and gain, you know, 10, 20, 50, hundreds of thousands of dollars in equity, mm -hmm. that that's the real win right there. Yeah. So let's talk about that because that's something I think is, is really important, right? Like, because I'm, I'm just as passionate. I want everyone around me to succeed at a very, very high level. So how do you as a business owner help someone succeed? Uh, right. Cause there's, there's only so much income that we can pay, but there's other ways that we can help them grow. So how can, how, what are some strategies for other people listening to find a way to compensate our, our, our people? Well, I guess the way that you did it. Yeah. I mean, so there's the abundance and scarcity mentality. I feel that lots of people don't want to share a lot of the information. I'm an open book with my employees. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's a certain level you have to get to before I start, you know, telling all the details, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but I provide them all the details of this is how a deal works. If you can go find a deal, you you've have additional time and you really want this. Use the skills that you lear learn here. Also utilize our system. Um, one of our individuals, he announced at a meetup, he said, hey, um, you know, I have experience property managing. If you want want to get in a deal and you have capital, let's do it. Somebody approached him right then, gave him $100,000. He got into the deal. I got onto the deal with them because they needed help guiding. Mm -hmm. And now he owns 30 or 40 units. Yeah. That's within, you know, two and a half, three years. Right. Um, so really being an open book and providing them value and allowing some partnerships to come in. Yeah. That's fascinating. That's awesome. Um, and it creates a lot of loyalty too. I mean, once again, as you said, you can only pay so much, but if you can see somebody's income grow and them actually building wealth, that, yeah. that is one of the most impactful things anybody can do. Well, I think there's two different ways to compensate, right? One's income and the other is creating wealth. Correct. And I think that's awesome. That's, that's awesome that you're doing that. Um, so now that you're at this level, again, just shy of 2000 units, you have the same exact partners. So I've probably had, I've had a lot of partners, but okay. I have two main business partners. Correct. Okay. So, um, let's talk about those partnerships. Uh, what, how, how have the partnerships evolved? So we all had to learn about each other. So Steven was my first partner. Chris was my second partner. Um, 
really, I mean, it's, it's, it's like dating, you know, it's like a marriage you don't know right away. So you're mm -hmm. kind of, you know, testing the waters, seeing where this goes, seeing the, the work ethic of the other individual, what, what they're, what they're putting in also their passion. Mm -hmm. I think both these individuals and why we're this trio is because we all have a certain level of passion, but we all have a very select set of skills. I work on the operations side. Steven's on the brokerage side. Chris is on the acquisition side. Yeah. Um, so we all kind of have our roles. We're basically a Venn diagram. So, you know, capital raising, we all may touch on it. Um, asset management, we all may touch on it. Um, but together, we've kind of filled in kind of this void. I mean, we, we as I said, we do own a title company, a hard money lending company. and a couple We're going to get into that vertical integration component in okay. a second. Okay. So one thing about partnerships is the waters can get a little choppy. Oh, yeah. Right. So what are some things that you can share to ensure that the partnerships are, are sturdy, you know, make sure everyone's happy? Because kind of like you, you touched on a moment ago, one reason why a lot of partnerships fail is that one person thinks they're doing more than the other. And it's not even true. Right. Like even you're carrying a full 50 50, just the way human psychology works. We know what's in front of us. We see the work we do. We can't see the work that they're doing. So just naturally, we feel like we're doing more than the other person if it's a true 50-50. So what are some things that you've done to ensure a successful um, coexistence? This isn't the right word, but you know where everyone's happy. Uh, the more we communicate, the better our partnership gets. Mm -hmm. Daily communication is absolutely critical. I mean, there's been some periods where we've gone maybe like a week or two without this daily communication. And you can tell the partnership does start shifting a bit because we are, I mean, you, you said it correctly. We could all be doing the same amount of work, but in the back of my mind, you know, I'm dealing with property management, things are blowing up. I'm dealing with all these contractors, 80 different projects going mm -hmm. on. I'm like, well, what are these guys doing? Yeah. Um, cause I'm stuck in my own head daily communication. Cause then you know what, what each other are doing. You can hold each other, not, not just accountable, um, but you can ask, ask help from them, you know, early on, in our partnerships, we would structure it a little differently. It'd be like, okay, if I found the deal, I get this much of a fee. You get that much of a fee. Um, if I bring the money, you get this much. I get that much. Um, we realized that was creating unhealthy competition mm -hmm. where we weren't working together. We, we realized we were actually competing on the same deals with each other, even after <laughs> we were partners, because we were still looking for that. Okay, you know, I want to get this additional fee. So he said, whatever it is, we're splitting it. So. Mm -hmm. Property management, everybody splits in that. Brokerage, everybody splits in that. You know, syndication side, everybody splits in that equally so we can all focus on our strengths. So uh, let's talk about syndications. Um, this is something that, um, if you've never heard of it, it's mind-boggling, right? As you get more seasoned, it's interesting. So let's talk about syndication. Um, I'm brand new. I don't know anything about it. How would you explain syndication? So syndication is basically pooling investors' capital. Um, it, it's SEC regulated. You know, you're filing a 506B, 506C. So once again, that's it's maybe not the the new terminology, but you're pooling investors' capital to invest passively in deals that myself, as the general partner, you as the investor, the limited partner, are putting together to receive passive income from. Mm -hmm. So it allows for individuals that have additional capital to invest in multifamily real estate without having to do the property management and be the operator. While we operate it, we find the deal, um, 
we do all the sourcing, we run the property management, we're either the property managers or we're the asset managers for that project. How many of these do you have to do? Like if um, you, you raise some funds to buy an apartment complex, you have to do, raise capital for that project, can you use the same syndication by the next one or you have to do a new syndication every single time? Uh, you have to do a new syndication every time. And, and how much funds does and, that cost for every syndication? So legal fees are between like thirteen and 17000 Obviously, then there's closing fees and everything. So what we've started doing is we've actually been packaging deals together. Mm -hmm. So most recently, we had a portfolio of four different buildings we packaged together. Um, one reason we did that is because of the fees and not having to do that multiple times. Um, there's it is kind of irritating to have it, to do a new syndication for every single property. It is. Um, you know, with, with these portfolios, we're able to get some risk mitigation because mm -hmm. we have multiple different projects. Um, so if one doesn't perform as well, we have another one to bring it up. Um, but yeah, every every project is a is a new syndication. Yeah. Um, and then vertical integration, right? Like you're talking about all these different things. So let's go all the way back to the beginning. Your first year, you started a project management company. Mm -hmm. What was the next company after that? The next company was the syndication company, which was okay. Park Ave Capital, okay. investment company. All right, and then after that? That was the, we've started a lot recently, so that was the hard money lending company. All right, so uh, hard money lending. Yes. Who do you service? Who's we, a good, we, who's we, a good client for you? Flippers. Okay. Flippers, and uh, we honestly borrow money from the hard money lending company too for uh, smaller buy and hold projects. Mm -hmm. But um, anybody wanting to buy it, buy a project, get in, rehab it, and get out of it. It's you know six month period. It's eighteen percent interest only, mm -hmm. um, and some consider that really high. Which obviously, if you're paying eighteen percent for thirty years, that's really high. But if you're holding on to this property for three months and you're avoiding all these additional closing costs, uh, additional right. fees that a bank would charge, and you're able to you know, recoup your capital and you build it into the project, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. So is that if you're flipping in Omaha or if you're flipping in general? We service a couple states, but Kansas City, um, Missouri, Omaha, and Iowa. Got it. All right. So hard money and then? Brokerage. So I, I do not have my brokerage license, but my partner, Steven, we're brokered in six states, I believe, right now. Oh, really? Yes. Yep. So we have CCIM, designated brokers on staff. Um, this really is a tool for us to both sell our properties, but also in acquiring. Um, What's the name of your... Uh, Cascade Commercial. Cascade Commercial. Okay. I like that. So you got CCIMs in every single state. Correct. For everyone that doesn't know what CCIM is. I would ask you, since I'm not the broker... <laughs> So I don't remember, I don't remember what it's it stands a for. It's a designation of like the highest level of like commercial uh, yeah. commercial real estate brokerage um, designation. Yeah. So it's it's a I don't know. I want to say four to six weeks of training, right? Like all these classes. Mm -hmm. you, get, you can do it online. You can go travel somewhere else. But yeah, if you get you're not taken seriously in commercial real estate if you don't have a CCIM. Correct. So, all right. So um, you'll get this. Uh, you got six different commercial brokerages so no one's a licensed realtor they're just doing commercial just, just commercial that's okay. correct all right and then after that 
Um, we recently started a construction company, um, which just services uh, projects in-house for now. Mm-hmm. But we realized we were subbing things out. We were doing so much work, and it was kind of nobody was really the point person. I was help GCing. Brad on my team was help GCing. We were all kind of doing that. So we started mm-hmm. the construction company. Um, and then next, which we just recently started, was the third-party property management. Now, this we teamed up with another company that mm-hmm. manages our properties in Kansas City, Atlas Property Management. My company's Bricktown. We came up with Bratless. Uh, <laughs> that, took, that took 30 seconds to, to come up yeah. with. Um, so those are servicing our properties that are now out of state. Mm-hmm. We're starting to transition to that. We will pick up third-party clients. Um, so we're really on the business development side, at least mine, me and my team. The other team with Atlas is really on kind of the operations, but we kind of oversee the hiring and kind of building out of that. Because the, the more and more that we do this, operations are the most important thing in this business. Mm-hmm. People talk about the deal, getting the deal, getting the money. No, it, it's operations. Yeah. If, you, if you don't operate well, you're going to go down. You're, you're going to extend your timeline on projects. Um, I think the reason we've been able to move so quickly and grow so quickly is we understand the time value of money and having solid operations allows us to like tighten up those efficiencies. Right. So third party property management and then. Oh, title company. We did just start a title company. So, and and the reason I say, Oh, is because we actually partnered with, uh, it's platinum title out of Mm -hmm. Nebraska. Um, so they handle all the back end work. We're the lead generation. So mm-hmm. all of our hard money, hard money lending clients, all the projects we're acquiring, there are quite a few partners on that that mm-hmm. are in Nebraska, um, some that have flipping businesses, wholesaling businesses, and then we push it all to the title company. Gotcha. All right. So there was a time when you had 100 properties where you were working nonstop, working crazy hours, and you weren't making as much as you were expecting to make. Mm-hmm. Are you finding, as you build all these different companies, that sometimes you feel like it's going back to that those days? <laughs> How does it feel for you, Steve? <laughs> sometimes it feels like those days. <laughs> yeah, um, I work a lot. Um, yeah. I just recently hired an executive assistant because I was not able to check my emails. I mean, I got off the plane yesterday with 158 missed text messages. Um, <laughs> and that's three hours. Yeah. So yeah, um, but I will say the pay has increased substantially. So right. that, that that then is kind of the causation of it. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoy it. Yeah. It's that, that's, that's a good problem to have. I love what I do. Yeah. It's so a great passionate. problem to have. So I was actually, um, I was at the IMN conference uh, for the last couple of days and I bumped into Terry Summers. He's up in uh, Ohio. And we were talking, like, he was asking me, was I going to be there all three days? Like, no, I already committed to so many different things. He's like, but, like, you should be here. I was like, I know I should be here. <laughs> but I've committed to all these different things. And basically what it is is that as we build our businesses, and because we understand sales and marketing, right? And all our businesses are initially sales and marketing. So we built out our businesses, and then we built out the, uh, we hired the right people to get it running. And once we get the right people to run it correctly, then we go start another business that bogs down all our time. <laughs> and then eventually we hire the right people to get it so we have some more free time. And then we start another business. It's this, it's this vicious cycle that we can't help ourselves, but we also love it. You are absolutely correct because you know on the property management side, it's starting to get, um, at least for our company Bricktown in Omaha, 
it's starting to get a lot more automated, have a really good team there. They're mm -hmm. running the staff meetings. Um, you know, we have KPIs all set up. I mean, it's very self-sufficient. There's a yeah. lot of things going on that I don't know what's going on. You know, I can see it all, but they're taking care of it. But then we go start something out of state. And then we start a construction company. Mm -hmm. And it's just, yes, you're 100% correct. And it's the 80-20 rule, you know? And right. I start putting 80% of my time over there. Um, and another thing that you and I talked about uh, right before we started recording was as you start other, other businesses, the challenges that we face are no longer, really have almost nothing to do with the industry, right? Like, it's not necessarily finding the right contractors, it's not necessarily, or, you know, how do you solve this particular issue? It's we're all fighting for the same valuable resource, which is human capital. Time. Yeah, and right now it's really hard to find good people. Yes. How are you solving that problem as you're continuing to grow all these different ventures? I mean, that, that is one of the most difficult, but I think it's, um, I'm sure you get a lot of people that want to come work with you, Steve. Oh yeah. You know why? Because you're great at what you do. You have a great personality. You are building a business that people can see mm -hmm. and are passionate about. That, that's the way you find good people. I have unstoppable passion about my business and yeah. wanting to help people and valuing people now it's still really hard to find people, but I, I do get approached by a lot of individuals that see the opportunity and it's not so much, everybody wants to get paid, but more than that, people want to be valued and they want to find, um, th they want to find value in what they're doing. Mm -hmm. they, they want to enjoy what they're doing and they want to see growth. People like the ability to see something grow and actually be impactful on it. So when finding somebody good, don't put them into a square peg. Don't just put them into a box. Let them be who they're going to be and find their strengths. If their strengths fit with your organization, let them grow their strengths. Mm -hmm. I mean, we regularly sit down with our team. And we write, what do you think? What are the top three things you do to increase income of this company? Okay. So what are the three things that you do daily, weekly that make money for this company? On the other side, what do you like to do and what do you don't what do you not like to do all of a sudden we find this kind of cross-pollination of things that some people hate doing while somebody else may love to do it yeah and then it's like okay well you can start filling that role we'll pull you out of this role because you're going to be more effective here and you're going to produce more income for mm -hmm. the company doing that right. so having people allowing them to find their passions um within what they're doing because that's what we're doing yeah. Building mini budding entrepreneurs, I guess. Absolutely. And so um, I just read the book, or I'm not just read, just started reading the book Multipliers. Uh, have you read that book? I have not. So what they talk about in that book is basically what you just mentioned here, which is something that I've done because, you know, I've got through strategic coach, the guy, Dan Sullivan, who wrote the book, Who Not How. Um, but Great book. It, yeah. So I went through his coaching program uh, many, many years ago. And that's what it was, all, it was always talking about, like how to hire the right people, how to hire, how to hire the best people, right? And so I kind of went on this rant for a little bit uh, some time ago, which basically I thought the E-Myth is overrated because the E-Myth is talking about you got to hire everyone that's like 15 years, that a 15-year-old can do this job, right? In reality, you have, to hire, you have to hire people that have passion. And then once you've identified that passion, their zone of genius, and figure out where their zone of genius, how it applies to your company, and put them in that seat and then let them leave them alone let them flourish 
And if you can do that, then you can create an amazing business, right? But I think so many people are focused on like, you were saying earlier, you don't look for experience, you look for talent. That's it. A lot of people are looking for experience, right? Who kind of plug and play, right? Put them in the seat, leave them alone, because they know how to do a job. No, you gotta find someone that's passionate about it, and then leave them alone. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I mean, our construction company started because one of our employees just started flourishing in that direction. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was a coach before that, CrossFit coach, and did a bunch of different things, but he became really good at that. Like, he was all of a sudden just running projects. That's where he fell into, you know, Irvin with the leasing. Um, you know, we, we've just found people that really find passions that fit, fit these niches. So I couldn't agree more. I mean, experience is great. Experience may be able to start the job quicker, but also sometimes it comes with some bad habits. Experience yeah. isn't always good experience. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. Well, sometimes you learn what, ne what never to do again. Um, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so Alex on Instagram wants to know, what is your Instagram? Uh, Colin C. Schwartz. There's an underscore between the Colin underscore C underscore Schwartz. Perfect. So there's a few Colin Schwartz out there. Um, so one thing we talked about here uh, is you've done 52 full cycle transactions. Uh, can you explain again, as if I've never done this before, yep. by the way, I'm investing in my first apartment complex. So congratulations. Really Thank you. Uh, so can you explain what is a full cycle transaction? You know, I actually had on a question to ask Steve is why aren't you in multifamily? So I, I do <laughs> kind of want to dive into that. Why it's why you just started getting into it, but no, that's great. Uh, so a full cycle transaction, how we define it is you invest $100,000 into a project, say it's a $500,000 building, you know, 80% LTV. After a year, year and a half, we rehab the building, we get it stabilized, we then refinance and we pull back $100,000 back out, mm -hmm. thus returning 100% of the capital. We've done that 52 times um, with deals up to 87 units. The 52 also includes duplexes as well. Yeah. Um, we've pulled out anywhere. I mean, our goal is always at least 80%, but we have pulled out a hundred percent for 52 buildings. Yeah. So what people talk about was burr. burr. Exactly. You're doing the burr yep. on apartments, but we don't call it burrs. We call it full cycle transactions. That, that, that's what we call it. And, um, I, I think the really powerful thing of this is when you're pulling out that capital, it's not taxed. Remember, it's still debt. Mm -hmm. So you shouldn't go buy a Ferrari with it. You should reinvest that capital mm -hmm. and make sure the property still cash flows. Um, but then you still own the asset, which is still cash flowing, mm -hmm. which should still be appreciating. Um, which at a lower are, interest rate. At a lower interest rate. Um, lots of times better debt terms. Because mm -hmm. um, typically we start off with community banks. Um, then we'll go to, you know, Freddie Mac, which mm -hmm. has longer term debt. Um but yeah, better interest rates, which increases our cash flow. So even though we're increasing our debt, we're getting 100% of our capital back out. We're improving our cash flow and typically into non-recourse debt. So that, yeah. is, that, that is the game. So, I mean, burning houses sounds fun. Um, multifamily, I feel like, is just less risky. But what if I really want a Ferrari? You can buy it for you can do whatever you want with money. Just know that it's still debt. Um, so anything I've ever uh, purchased that's been like an extravagant or, or luxury, it's been because I've sold something. Mm -hmm. um, I, I worry that, you know, if you start getting too uh, reckless with your capital on the refinance, mm -hmm. it's still debt. 
yeah. you still owe it to somebody. Right. Um, it's so not free and clear. It, it's not free and clear. So, I mean, yeah. it's okay if you hold on to the asset, it's still cash flowing. Um, you know, my cash flow, I can do that. I mean, you can spend it on whatever you want, but I, I just do want to point that out is yeah. that it's still debt. Um, on a side note, I also just invested in a community bank. So really, so that's going to be uh, exciting too. So how many businesses do you have? Do you know? Uh, <laughs> see, so we have the wholesaling company, a real estate team, real estate brokerage, title company, uh, just partner up with investor lifts. We have the sales training program to start investing in apartments, investing at a bank. I think that's everything. There's probably more out there. <laughs> That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Where do you focus oh, most of your time? Title company. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Where do you focus most of your time? Uh, the sales training. Okay. The sales training. Cause that's where I get to teach. And that's the part where it's, it's interesting. Like I wanted to be a school teacher and it sounds crazy. Um, but I wanted to be a school teacher until I saw how much they made. Right. Like, I mean, I was, I had this, uh, physics teacher, freshman year of high school. So inspiring. Loved the guy. And he was so passionate about teaching. I was like, man, like, that's so cool. He's, you know, he's changing the younger generation. Then I saw how much teachers made. I was like, well, I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but now I get to teach and I get paid very, very well yeah. to teach. Um, so on TikTok, uh, Bergen wants to know, what is your advice for an individual who's just starting to invest in real estate? So the, the biggest thing is to, to educate yourself. Um, th there's no easy button in this industry. Um, identify what, what you have right now. Do you have time? Do you have skills? Do you have capital? Um, you have to have one of those three. If you don't have any of those three, you got to find one of them. You got to find one of them. That, that, that's it. You know, for me, I had a little bit of capital, but I had a lot of drive. So I found time. Mm -hmm. I, I found time. I woke up earlier educate yourself and then network. So, I mean, some actionable steps is create your personal financial statement right now, then go talk to three bankers. Then you're going to know how much you can borrow. You're going to know what you can buy. They say you can buy zero. Okay. Now, you know, you have to go find somebody with capital. You're going to find a hard money lender. You're going to find a private investor. But I found doing that first, I knew what my limits were on what I could purchase realistically. I'm not saying there's no limits. You can't not go buy a hundred million dollar apartment complex your mm -hmm. day one, but to have a realistic limit. Cause then that identified my criteria of properties I was looking at. I was like, okay, I can afford up to $500,000 of properties. Well, I'm not going to be looking at $10 million properties. Mm -hmm. Not yet. Um, go to every networking event in town. Go, even if you don't know anything. Yeah. Every day. Also, one of the biggest things I did, and I wish I still did it was I journaled when I first started and I had to make one actionable step every day. An actionable step is not, you know, plugging in an audible and falling asleep to it. Mm -hmm. An actionable step is meeting with that lender, filling out my PFS and finding out what I can purchase. It was going to a networking event and not just sitting in the back, but it was having a meaningful conversation with somebody and a contact. Um, you can do that every day. I mean, it's a, a Darren Hardy compound effect. Absolutely. 1% better every day. That's it. You, you, you're not, you're not going to go out and just hit home runs, but just 1% better every day. Get up early. Don't waste time. Educate, 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 educate. Yeah. I was at, um, I went to the IMN conference here. Right? It's mm -hmm. here right now. Um, and it actually, I enjoyed it cause it took me back to the early days of where I was small fish in a big pond, right? These guys are doing thousand plus transactions a month, right? Of houses. 
a month. So the conversations you have in that room are very different than your day-to-day conversations. So I think to your point, like go out and network, your, your language will change. The way you think will change. If you're connecting with other people that are doing the kind of things that you want to do, you're not that person today that can buy an apartment complex if you haven't started yet. But you hang, in, you hang around with enough people that either own apartment complexes, fund apartment complexes, or looking at them, your vocabulary changes, your thinking process changes. I couldn't agree more. I mean, when I started, my goal was 16 rental units. Yeah. That was it. That was, that was it. I thought I'd hit, you know, the gold mine then. But you start hanging out with people. And as I said, you know, met somebody that had 50 units. And now we're developing 130 units, mm-hmm. you know, in Omaha. We're doing ground up development. We bought, you know, 260 units in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, none of that would have been possible if I just sat at home by myself thinking I could maybe do it or not do it. Right. It's impossible. To your point, you have to get out. You have to network because somebody's going to tell you something and you're going to realize that it's possible. Right. Well, and that's exactly it. You know, I go to Collective Genius. So I go there, <clears throat> actually I'm going next week. And like, it can become a game of like, wow, they're doing this, they're doing that. I'm inadequate. Right. And I think for some people, a good amount of people, you hear that you feel inadequate and you feel like you're not doing enough. For me, every time I hear someone's kicking my butt, I get excited. I know what's possible. Not only do I know what's possible, I know how to get there because we're friends. I can call them up and ask them these questions. Here's where I'm stuck. How did you accomplish this? Right? And you kind of talked about you're a coach. So that's the value in coaching. But on top of that, joining the right mastermind, networking with the right people, you don't have to do this all yourself. No. Information. You shouldn't. There. You shouldn't do it all yourself. Yeah. I mean, you, you need to take. I guess initially, like, do it yourself by picking up a book, mm-hmm. and don't go and ask. You know, don't reach out to the most successful person. If you're just starting, don't text Grant Cardone or reach out. Hey, how do I become rich like you? That's, mm-hmm. that's a poor question. Get the base knowledge of yeah. what real estate is and what you want to do. But then, yeah, network and listen. Yeah, yeah it's incredibly powerful. Um, so. A follow-up question by Alex on Instagram. What would be better for more cash flow, Airbnb or apartment complexes? I'm going to say it. I hate Airbnb. Just, I've Sure, it can be better. I don't know. I've had a couple Airbnbs, and there's, there's a couple ways I've lost money in real estate. Airbnbs and flipping houses. <laughs> there, there are, there's a lot of market inconsistencies that can cause issues with mm-hmm. those that I don't understand. Plenty of people do really well at flipping houses. Plenty of people do well at Airbnbs. That's not my niche. Multifamily, there's a lot of uh, what I call it, um, safety nets. Um, because you can prolong it, you get residents in there. Sure, you may not get as much cash flow, but if a COVID-19 hits, COVID-2016 or whatever, and all of a sudden nobody's traveling and there's nobody in your Airbnb, okay, well, you're not getting any cash flow from it. There are people that I thought were gonna struggle with COVID, with Airbnbs. They did better. And they did better. They did. Right. Uh, Shocking. Yes. Uh, But for me, you know, uh, I do plenty of risky things, all these different business ventures. There's plenty of risk and variety for me. Um, But Airbnbs, I know that people are killing it, crushing it, right? you know, five figure cash flow every single month. But for me, that is still an early, um, 
venture. Yeah. Right. Even like, you know, at IMM, they're talking about, you know, these hedge funds are buying these thousands of houses every single month. You know, one company owns like 86,000 houses across the country. The things that they are running into right now, and it's not necessarily a challenge, but it's kind of like a yellow flag, is that now that they're buying so many houses, Congress is like, hey, this is the right thing for the American dream. This is the best thing for the American public to have all this Wall Street money owning all this real estate, right? Multifamily has been multifamily Mm -hmm. for decades. Yes. Right. No one's going to be like, hey, Colin's making a little bit too much money. We need to change how things work. Now, they might change the tax laws, which would really suck. Yes. But beyond that, it's not, that's going to be that's going to affect everybody. That's not going to be multifamily specific. So, yeah. And one thing to add for the Airbnb. So I, I had been asked this question before. So say if, you know, an Airbnb, it's rented out for 365 days a year with a new person. That's 365 transactions that's 365 pieces of work mm-hmm. that go on with it. That's a cleaner, that's coordination of 365 different pieces. I lease out an apartment to one person, that's one piece of work. Mm-hmm. Sure, there's gonna be maintenance requests, but if you looked at that, I could go rent out 365 apartments mm-hmm. and have a lot more scalability. Right. So I think Airbnb makes sense if you can find good systems and if you do scale it, but gosh, the amount of work that goes into it, and I mean, there's a lot of ways to lose money in it. The thing that scares me about it is the urgency component. Yes. Because right? the, the, the reviews are so important. And I'm speaking this completely as an idiot because I don't do Airbnbs, right? But the things that scare me is that, you know, uh, since the reviews are so important that if you're not responsive, you know, you're getting a four-star review, three-star review, and now, like, you're no longer in the yeah. algorithms. Is, yeah, so no, this, no thank you. It's just this whole other thing. It sounds fun. It really it sounds does. really sexy. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And as I said, I've done three of them and yeah. all of them have failed. And now I have furniture for sale. <laughs> <laughs> so now that you've got, you know, uh, this many doors, right? Close to 2000 doors. I'm curious, what does your marketing budget look like? And what does your overhead look like? So that that's a good question. So on the property management side, as I said, we've, we started the year with like three employees and now we're at 18. Um, so I would actually have to go look at that marketing. I mean, we, I didn't get my first website until this year. Mm-hmm. So most people start off with a business card, a website, kind of the opposite. Yeah. Um, so Which we, there's wisdom in that. I, I think, you know, I get asked a lot, you know, Hey, when do I form my entity? I'm going to start this business. I, I formed it right before the property closed. Mm-hmm. I need to find the property. I need to find something that actually created business and value. Um, as far as marketing, um, we, we don't do a lot of marketing. We have started, I mean, this is marketing, getting on bigger pockets, that's marketing, getting on social media. Um, you know, I pay some money for the meetup to, to host that. We, we are now building out new websites. We are going to rebrand, but maybe it's like 40 grand a year or so yeah. on that. Overhead though, it, it's, it's quickly changing. Yeah. Um, well, labor for most companies is the single largest expense. On the PL. Yeah. I mean, we're we're approaching, you know, probably by next year it'll be seven figures for sure. Yeah. So what's your biggest struggle right now? You know, probably a similar struggle to you. You know, we have a lot of opportunities and how do I prioritize my time? And and uh yeah, it's it's always time. It's always where do I best put my time? Um that's the biggest struggle. We are finding great people, um, we are growing, we are seeing success. Um, but yeah, personally, it's just, you know, finding time and, and juggle, juggling it all at once. <laughs> we find the time 
and then we screw it up. Yes. That's, at least that's what I do. <laughs> yes, you are correct. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. What is your superpower? Um, you know, it, it's, it's funny because I, I asked a couple people knowing I was going to come on here and because um, it, it feels weird to say, hey, I'm great at this. Um, you know, and some of the answers I got back is, you know, valuing people, but valuing their time and valuing their time also correlates to money. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the people I asked, they said, when you get an investor in, you know that their dollar that they're investing is their time that they may have spent, you know, a year at a job to invest $100,000 with you and you respect that. So it's really valuing people. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's the most important thing. It's the most important thing in business. Treat people like they walk on water. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's, it's so important to business and so many people miss it, but it's one of the most valuable leadership principles, right? Like if you don't value people, why would they stick with you? It's, um, you know, number one cause of, of divorce is financial, right? But the number one cause of infidelity is not financial, right? It's appreciation. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of, of wisdom in, in appreciating people. So that's your superpower. That's that's awesome. Uh, what's the greatest lesson you've learned? Gosh, always uh, always ask the question you're thinking. Like, And what I mean by that is find a mentor as soon as possible mm-hmm. and invest in your education for what you're interested in. Um, if I could go back, you know, I'm very fortunate, 32, I figured this out at the age of 32. And then I look at people that are 18 and they start finding mentors and are mm-hmm. educating themselves. And uh, it's like, gosh, you know, if I could just go back and do that. So I am a little envious of that. Very envious, very yeah. envious of, you know, you know, I love it. I've got three beautiful children married. Um, it's a little different than the 25 year old that owns 50 rental units and mm-hmm. is traveling across the country. That's, you right. know, kind of experiencing. Well, so, fast fan. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, fast fan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is your favorite, best, or most interesting failure? Most interesting failure. Huh. That's a that's a good question. Um, most interesting failure is it, it's turned into a strength, but it was having loyalty to my previous job. So. You know, working in IT before that, I worked at a grocery chain for seven years. And when I left, I was making 38000 a year, working 75 to 80 hours a week, managing to 300 people. Um, wow. So wasting that time when I probably could have been doing something else, you know, yeah. but I got something out of it. So, I mean, what do they say? Education, um, you know, is experience or, you know, a failure becomes experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's what it was. Yeah. And then what book have you given more than any other? I mean, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. But two of my favorite books are Shoe Dog um, by Phil Knight. That That's an incredible book. I love the quote in there. The cowards never started. The weak died along the way. And that leaves us. I, I feel like that's a uh, perfect exemplification of like, what a entrepreneur is. Um, you know, there's so many people that don't start. There's so many people that get scared and then that leaves us. We're sitting right here. Yeah. People say like, you know, aren't you afraid to share all this information? Like most people aren't gonna do anything with it. No. And, and if they do, they'll likely become our friends and we can do deals together. Exactly. I have found that more than anything. Yeah. You know, when I was on my way up, right? Like, you know, as a struggling entrepreneur, 
I would reach out to people that are more successful. And they were so happy to share their wisdom with me. Like basically what we do here on this podcast was a lunch I would have with them. And they were so happy to share because they were hoping someone would actually do something with it. Yes. Right. Like, please, will you be the one that I'm sharing this, imparting this information with and will do something with it? And what people don't really talk about, there are a lot of people that are happy to mentor that lose interest in it. Because there have been so many people that have come along to ask them questions, pick their brains, pick their brains, and done absolutely nothing with it. Yes, and it's like, what's the point in like, what's the point of having a coffee with this person? Like, the odds of this person succeeding if I have coffee with them is near zero. So why would I waste my time? It's you know, and I, and I'm sure you find that all the time. Everybody wants to pick your brain. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to take you to coffee. Um, I know I ask anybody that does that. Have you read these books? And do you know this simple terminology? Because mm-hmm. then that proves like the work ethic. Out of a hundred people, you know, hundreds of people that have done it, there's been three or four and now they're doing deals, but you know, you give that and that's worth your time. But I agree with you that that can be frustrating, but every entrepreneur wants to share their knowledge with somebody that's going to do something with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're creating more, more millionaires. Uh, so Tammy on Instagram wants to know, how do you train your cold callers? Do you have cold callers? I don't have cold callers. Yeah. Well, if you want to train your cold callers, Tammy, we actually have a sales training program, so you can check that out. Um, I want you to think about something you want to leave the listeners with while I make just a couple of quick announcements. Uh, guys, as you just heard, uh, OfferFast got acquired by InvestorLift. So if you guys want to get involved with InvestorLift, it's what we're using now to dispo our properties. We're making more money now using uh, InvestorLift than we were making uh, on our own without it. Uh, if you guys got value today, please like, subscribe, share, and comment. It really does help us reach more people in the algorithms. And uh, we do have our all-day sales training coming up on December 10th. Might be too short to notice for you guys, but all-day sales training in our office. If you guys do sign up during the podcast, you guys get $500 off. And join us next week, we got Nate Hirschberg and Brian Sigmund. All right, so what are the last thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? Um, it's all people. At the end of the day, it's all people. Um, so often we think about things as widgets, or deals or margins or cash flow. Mm-hmm. It's all people. Mm-hmm. People want to help people that want to help people. Yeah. That's it's really simple. I mean, it's really simple, but it's one of those things that takes so many years of trial and error to figure out, right? Cuz you yeah. start like if I could just find a deal. Yes, I that's it. Find, <laughs> when you just start if I could just find a deal, right? If I could just find a deal, everything be fine. And then you come to a point where the deals are easy. It's, it's not hard to find deals anymore. No. Now it's like, well, how can I get someone to talk to these people? Right? You got to hire people. Yep. And then you got these people and they're working. They're bringing in more deals. Okay, now we got to deal with all these transactions. How can, how can I, you know, get these transactions done? <laughs> hire more people. Hire more people. <laughs> right. And the people need to treat people well. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it invest is. in multifamily. I, I, yeah. I, I truly believe it. It, it is made such a compound effect on my life yeah. of wealth building. Um, you know, I've hit my retirement goal number. I used to run this number, you know, when I worked at the grocery chain of the dollar amount of net worth I want to hit. And I've surpassed that 30 years earlier. Mm-hmm. And uh, multifamily, I, I know lots of people listen, flip, wholesale, et cetera. Um, I would encourage people to invest in multifamily. The wealth building aspect of it, it is tremendous. Well, you were asking me earlier, why am I not investing mm-hmm. in, 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 in multifamily? And I just, I'm just trying to stay in my lane, just try to focus yeah. on one thing, right? Like, that's the reason why I haven't looked at it. Uh, really, it's just a, another friend, right? She's like, hey, she posted like, hey, you know, we just bought this apartment complex. Like, all right, look, 
I got some extra money. Let's go ahead and, you know, see what this can do, right? So let's dabble. And so I got my first call last night. I don't know, like, because there's this whole process, right, for raising money. Yep. So they have to do these things to be compliant with the SEC. Correct. So I was on that call. So now I'm qualified to fill out this next form to do this next thing, whatever PPM. it is. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Congrats. Thank you. No, thank that's you. exciting. Buy more. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, that, that the key here, right, is to, to keep more of our own capital so that Uncle Joe doesn't take it. That's do, do you pay taxes every year? So I know now now we're getting to the end of the show, but do you pay income taxes? This is the reason why I'm <laughs> investing in multifamily, right? Yeah. Is that it's uh, the, the, the checks I had to write to Uncle Joe are, are not what I want to pay. Mm-hmm. It, it's not a Ferrari, but it's a nice car. Yeah. Right. It's, it's something. Yeah. And you don't have to pay that. Right. If well, you invest in multifamily. Yeah, that's the reason why we're investing in multifamily. Invest in more multifamily so you don't yeah. have to pay income taxes. Um, you all right. Kick it down the road. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well. Thank you. This was a Steve. whole lot of fun. Appreciate Thanks it, for buddy. coming in. Thank you guys for watching. Thank See you. you guys next week. Thank you.